Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Too Much Information is a production of iHeartRadio. everyone and welcome to Too Much Information, the show that gives you the secret histories and little known fascinating facts behind your favorite TV shows, movies, music and more. My name's Jordan Runtug and I'm Alex Heigl. And today we're talking about the salute to the glute, the bow to the booty, the cheer to the rear, the anthem of the ass. Yes, the hip hop song that even your grandma will dance to at family functions. I'm talking about the immortal Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot, Knight of the Turntable, first of his name, Duke of the Derriere, and friend to butts of all sizes. You are getting a Pulitzer for that. <laughs> if I have to wrench it out of someone else's cold dead hands. But damn it, this song deserves it. It has managed to transcend generations, quite literally, based on pure goofiness, really. I mean, come on, you don't have that with Rex and Effects or Juvenile. Ah, uh, juveniles persisted, but it's it's not doesn't come from the same lightheartedness. I'll say yes. This song turned thirty years old this year. It was released on May seventh, nineteen ninety two, and um, I think it's truly just as relevant as ever. <laughs> <laughs> I go. What do you think about this song? What are your impressions? Your memories? Your hot takes? Ah, uh, you know, I grew up a child of the nineties, so this was like shoved into my face at <laughs> literally every opportunity, usually by your former employer VH1. Did they do it behind the music on him, or did they just catch him, or was this one of the? This might have been part of the best one-hit wonders. Yeah, countdown. I think so, yeah. I have no quarrel with Sir Mix-a-Lot. The more I read about him, the more I think I'd like him. Yeah. I don't I'm really tired of hearing the damn song, but uh, you know, it is it it has a sort of a universal charm. I mean, universal message. But it's goofy in kind of the same way that like and kind of and lighthearted in the kind of the same way that like Biz Marquis, like, ha. you know, just a friend is. Like, you're 5 years old and the first time you hear someone say, "I like big Butts on a can online. He's like, like butts that's just, on the radio. It was like, and what? you're just like, it's just so funny, and it sears it into your head. Maybe one of the most epic opening lines to any piece of film, television, epic poetry. Yeah. So you know what? I got to give it to Mix. Great song. A little bit overplayed. 
Great song. <laughs> what is it Robert Plant says about Stairway to Heaven? Oh, I think it's a good song. I've just heard it before. <laughs> um, well, let's get to it. We have quite a tale involving guns, nuns, inflatable butts, and so much more. Here's everything you didn't know about Baby Got Back. <laughs> Before the butts, Mix was already kind of a big deal. That is right. Yeah, Sir Mix a lot. He's kind of been relegated to one hit wonder status, but he was actually a regional hip hop star long before his 90s heyday. He was born Anthony Ray, and Mix was basically an early bedroom beat maker, crafting his beats in his Seattle home with drum machines and Korgs and Moog synths. Um, and a Commodore 64. What is that? I don't really know what that is. Oh, it's one of the earliest, jankiest computers. I think they do a, uh, a Simpsons bit about it or something. It's just, it's a relic of a better time. <laughs> and this is really interesting to me. He was inspired not so much by hip-hop, but by electronic music from people like Devo and Gary Newman and Kraftwerk. So he was a really unique voice in the burgeoning Seattle rap scene, which was absolutely not known as a you know a nationwide hip-hop hotbed uh seattle native and g-unit producer jake one recalled an interview with cocaine blunts i think i think i would assume that's the name of the outlet by the time <laughs> sir mix came out nationally he was almost kind of old to the people here in seattle he was everywhere he had songs that were big that never even came out i think that means never even released as a single yeah because this is the era where you could have huge club bangers that were never really released because you might have come out as a, a, a club mix on a just like a single pressing that kind of thing and so after some early independent releases he founded a label nasty mix with a local radio dj but one of the acts on nasty mix kid sensation released a record in 1992 that featured then-Seattle Mariners outfielder Ken Griffey Jr. on the track The Way I Swing, <laughs> uh, which I love. His first album was 1988's SWAS. I think it's how you pronounce it. It's an acronym. What does it stand for, Heigl? <laughs> Why do you throw that to me? Some wild-ass silly sh- <laughs> <laughs> And that album, his debut, made it into the Billboard R&B Top 20 chart, and it went platinum which means it sold a million copies and so did his follow-up 1989 seminar and the success was purely word of mouth and music writer dotty abe writes in the book emerald street the seismic nature of an independent seattle-based record label releasing back-to-back platinum selling rap albums by a seattle-based artist in 1988 cannot be overstated so again sir mix kind of a big deal long before baby got back was ever heard of <laughs> and this is interesting. Some of his early pre-Baby Got Back stuff actually has quite the legacy. Mix basically positioned himself as sort of the self-deprecating everyman. And his songs were surprisingly progressive for the time. And he had one called The Peekaboo Game, which tackled teen pregnancy and sexual abuse. He had National Anthem, which was a critique of extreme patriotism and America's foreign policy. But probably his biggest pre-Baby Got Back track is Posse on Broadway, which is sort of a stone-cold, isn't sort of, it is a stone-cold hip-hop classic in which he raps about macing a guy who's about to get violent with his girlfriend. And uh, just to kind of put this in context, this is the same era when N.W.A. are referring to women as hoes and other very, you know, ungallant terms. Um, so obviously the misogyny bar in this era is very low, but this was pretty radical, Posse on Broadway. And interestingly, the song Posse on Broadway was sampled in the Pussycat Dolls hit don't you? And also uh, Natalie's rap, in which Natalie Portman 
throws down a bunch of oh, yeah. hard rhymes by the Lonely Island. But by the early 90s, Mix had had a falling out with his Nasty Mix Records co-founder, and with two platinum records under his belt, he was wooed away to join a major label. In this case, it was Rick Rubin's Deaf American label, which was flush with cash from the success of the Black Crows. And how dare you, Glenn Danzig's first solo records. That's right, I'm sorry. As producers, Sir Mix-a-Lot and Rick Rubin were pretty well aligned because they both really believed in stripping tracks down to their core. And so the stage has been set for Baby Got Back. In uh, 1987, butts were at a crossroads. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mix was watching uh, Super Bowl 21 on TV in 87 with his girlfriend at the time when a Budweiser ad came on featuring the beer's mascot, a bull terrier named Spuds McKenzie, played by a dog named Honey Tree Evil Eye, which f***ing rules. Anyway, in the commercial, Spuds McKenzie pilots a submarine that crashes a supermodel party on a yacht. Lifestyles of the rich and famous host Robin Leach is there. They play backgammon. It is very weird. But the crucial part of this, or at least the part that's germane to our narration at this point, is that this entourage of models... They all have the same identical, super slender, runway model body type. And Mix was watching this with his girlfriend at the time, as I mentioned, a woman named Amelia Dorsey Rivas, who is also a model, and she was struggling to find work because of her curvy body shape, and she was constantly losing out to women who looked like all of these models in the ads. And she would say in an interview with Vulture, where I grew up in the suburbs of Seattle, if you weren't built like Paris Hilton, you weren't appreciated. I worked at a modeling agency as a teenager, and I taught hair and makeup and runway classes to six-foot-tall girls who weighed 90 pounds. But I didn't get much work, and neither did anyone who looked like me. Women who were built like me were not what was popular at the time. This Budweiser ad naturally then became a flashpoint for uh, unrealistic body beauty standards of the era. And in a Vulture oral history years later, for the website Vulture, he was not telling this to a Vulture. Um... (laughs) Mix-a-Lot told the story. He said, each one of those models was shaped like a stop sign, which is a funny diss, with big hair and straight up and down bird legs. There's nothing wrong with that, but I was so sick of that He talked about seeing women tying sweaters around their waists to hide their butts, and it made him sad, and nothing should ever make Sir Mix-a-Lot sad. His frustration over homogenous body types in media sowed the seeds for Baby Got Back as an attempt to, in his words brought in the definition of beauty. In his words, and I quote. Yeah. And at least that's his official socially conscious version of the Baby Got Back origin story because in a 2014 interview with TMZ, he also talked about being inspired by seeing Jennifer Lopez and presumably her butt as one of the fly girls on uh, In Living Color in the early 90s. That is slightly less heroic. But lest we forget the booties that came before, (laughs) it would be unfair to say that Sir Mix is it Sir Mix or Sir a lot? <laughs> um, you know, I think that in the British knighthood system, it's Sir first name. I think it's Sir Mix. Like okay, Sir so Paul. Sir Mix. Yeah, it's not Sir McCartney, uh, it's Sir Paul. Okay, okay. It would be ungenerous to the long lineage of butts before Sir Mix's pioneering work. 1989, there was DeButt by Experience <laughs> Unlimited. Um, Peaches and Herbs disco track, Shake Your Groove thing. Huh. Casey and the Sunshine Band's Shake Your Booty. And of course, LL Cool J's 1989 song, Big Ol' Butt. My favorite out of those is Da Butt, 
because it was written for the Spike Lee movie School Days by Marcus Miller, who is this virtuoso electric bassist who was also Luther Vandross's musical director in the 1980s, and he played with Miles Davis. So that is the most musically pedigreed butt song, in my opinion. But, Jordan, tell us about how they arrived at the now iconic track. Yes, it's the early 90s, and Sir Mix is recording his first album with Rick Rubin, 1992's Mac Daddy. And towards the end of the session, he turns his attention towards this new song he's working on, Baby Got Back. And it's the second to last song he records for the album, and he doesn't have high hopes for it, which is pretty hilarious considering it would go on to make over $100 million. Uh, Mix later said, I hated Baby Got Back. I thought this song will never make it. I thought it was going to piss everybody off. But I wanted to piss everybody off, but I didn't think it was going to be a hit. And this early version might not have been a hit. The first incarnation of Baby Got Back was very slow. Not exactly a ballad, but not the banger that it would become. And Rick Rubin was the one who really believed in it and encouraged Mix to bump up the tempo and do stuff like fade the music out on the Anaconda part, you know, mute it to kind of emphasize the lyrics um, and all sorts of other, you know, that's why he's a production genius. But still... Sir Mix thought Baby Got Back was the worst song on the album, and he didn't want it to be a single at all. Instead, he wanted to release the song One Time's Got No Case, which was a track about racist police harassment. And Rick Rubin went along with it kind of half-heartedly, but the song didn't hit it big. Well, I mean, it, it, you say that it got the number 10 on the Billboard Hot Rap songs. Yeah, but that's still not the big mainstream hit that it would be. But Yeah. So I'm just being I'm being pedantic. It's kind of my thing. No, it's I, I appreciate that. <laughs> so at this point, Mick said, "All right, you know what, Rick, do your thing," and he consented and, and uh, co-signed the release for "Baby Got Back." And here are some other some interesting parts that go into the uh, the musical gumbo, if you will, that forms "Baby Got Back." And uh, I will. Yeah. <laughs> To build the up-tempo version of the song, Mix wrote his own bass line and sampled the Detroit techno-classic Technicolor by Channel One by borrowing its drum pattern and the electric blips and pings. And this marked a very different approach to beat-making for him because his earlier work often sampled found sounds instead of other people's music. And he would later say, when samplers finally came along, it never occurred to me to steal somebody else's music. I would bust a beer on the ground or shoot off guns. I would use anything. So that's really interesting. He's really using like field recordings to make his early beats. And there's another really distinctive sample used... Um, to complete Mix's line, that butt you got makes dot, dot, dot. And the line is, the line is me so horny, which mm -hmm. I feel like will be sampled me saying that and used <laughs> by you. I, I will. On a soundboard yeah. till the end of time. Uh, and that line of dialogue is spoken by actress Papillon Sue. Yes. And that is in Stanley Kubrick's classic Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, it's kind of messed up. She is playing a um, uh, a sex worker in that's a Vietnam one, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, but she had actually made her film debut in A View to a Kill two years earlier. My least um, favorite Bond movie. Yeah, uh, most people's least favorite Bond movie. <laughs> um, but that snippet, it, it's kind of sad that she was an actress and she is now lodged in the popular consciousness for this soundbite because uh, Miami hip-hop pioneers and inadvertent free speech activists, Two Live Crew, had dropped their first Hot 100 track, Me So Horny, in 1989. <laughs> you interviewed Luther, right? 
Uh, I did. Yes, that was for it was actually on the anniversary of the uh, of the free speech case. But the other part of the spoken word part of the song that everyone remembers is the opening Valley Girl voice. And yes, we are talking about the intro. The oh, my God, Becky, look at her butt. Do it for real. Do it for real. Come on. Nope, I'm not. That line was you'd only get so many impressions out of me, (laughs) Runtog. Uh, that line is spoken by Sir Mix's girlfriend, Amelia Dorsey Rivas, who is at his side for ground zero of the song when he watched the Budweiser Super Bowl ad. Uh, in addition to being a model, Amelia is an accomplished voiceover artist, and she says that her ability to do a flawless Valley Girl accent is due to her upbringing. Her adoptive parents fostered a number of children, and she said... There were so many kids coming in and out of my household that I picked up lots of different accents. The one at the beginning of Baby was based on girls I grew up around. So this song is also ground zero for another bit of now enshrined in the lexicon bit of slang. The phrase Becky as a reference to white women benefiting from white privilege. Beyonce helped reintroduce it on 2016's Lemonade, the song Sorry, with a Becky with a good hair line that, if you were working in digital media at the time, as we both were, remembered a small cottage industry of think pieces coming up trying to identify who Becky actually was. But using it in Baby Got Back was meant to define beauty standards and mainstream expectations for women in terms of what was deemed desirable. Now we're coming to... One of my favorite bits on the show, what we talk about when we talk about butts. Yes. This brings us to the deeper meaning of Baby Got Back. On the surface, it's easy to view the song as degrading to women by objectifying a specific part of their anatomy. But unsurprisingly, Sir Mix does not see it that way. His argument was that he was celebrating black beauty standards in a cultural climate where healthy women were made to feel ugly. To quote him, I ain't talking about Playboy because silicone parts are made for toys. And also another line in the song, so Cosmo says you're fat, well, I ain't down for that. In a 2016 interview with Tacoma Weekly, he said, the song is really talking about the lack of acceptance by Hollywood of the African-American body. And he name-checks women's beauty magazines like Vogue and Cosmo, like I said earlier, as well as music videos by rock bands like Whitesnake, Rat, and Bon Jovi, which objectified big-haired, thin-hipped Caucasian models. And he said in another interview around the same time, before Baby Got Back, beauty was defined one way. Six-foot, blonde, blue eyes. That was it. That was the mainstream way of looking at it, and I didn't agree at all. I didn't want the song to sound like an alternative to what people think beautiful is. I wanted to say, this is beautiful, period. Uh, There have been some who've made the argument that Baby Got Back is an anti-colonialist protest, which may be overstating simply, but it's an interesting take. But for all the goofy lyricism and imagery, and again, we didn't even start talking about the video yet, Mix has maintained that the message of Baby Got Back is sincere. And he said in an interview with DJ Vlad recently, initially, it was going to be a serious song, but I realized if it was serious, they wouldn't take it seriously. It would just be dismissed. So he went the comedic route. And as he says, before people knew what it was about, it had already sold three or four million copies. You got to put a little honey in it to get people to swallow the bitter truth of what you're saying. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more Too Much Information in just a moment. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. 
At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, mentioned the video earlier. One of the less progressive parts of this old saga. Yes, we're, we're getting into the video now. Uh, so Sir Mick says that Baby Got Back is a way of taking a stand for representation, body positivity, and acceptance. But this progressive anti-colonialist stance is undercut ever so slightly by the fact that models auditioning for Baby Got Back, the music video, were required to provide Polaroids of their posterior. Yes, the video was directed by Adam Bernstein, who also did the Hey Ladies video for the Beastie Boys and Love Shack for the B-52s. So this guy clearly had the market cornered on cheeky, irreverent music videos of the late 80s and early 90s, apparently. And 
Ironically, Adam Bernstein had been offered the chance to direct the music video for LL Cool J's Big Old Butt, but he passed. But thankfully, the chance came around again. You can go home again. And this time, he accepted, and he took on Sir Mix's Baby Got Back video project. And he teamed up with the costume designer Dana Hollister, who also worked with him on the Hey Ladies video. And <laughs> in a moment of really brutal self-reflection, Dana Hollister observed... I guess I did a lot of ass stuff in that time, <laughs> which is hell of a soundbite. But anyway, Dana and Adam Bernstein had a meeting with Sir Mix to discuss the concept for the video. And in another priceless quote, director Adam Bernstein recalls of the meeting, Sir Mix really wanted a giant ass in the video and he wanted to be coming out of it. I suggested that that maybe wasn't a great idea. <laughs> And it was at this meeting that Mix outlined his terms, and one of them was that he wanted him and his friends to have what Bernstein called butt approval. And so the director and his crew took Polaroids of various applicants' um, fundamental parts of their body, which they then sent to Sir Mix-a-Lot for evaluation. And to quote Bernstein in Vulture's 2013 oral history piece, the dancers would come in for audition, and I had to snap a Polaroid of their butts. I was mortified, but a lot of the women auditioning thought it was hilarious. We took all the Polaroids, made a giant grid of them, and then FedExed them to Seattle so that Mix and his friends could approve the butts. I am I, I know I reference this, I feel like, on every episode, but I am thinking of the Beautiful Minds style. Huge grid with strings all <laughs> through it. Sir Mix very seriously trying to choose the best butts for his Big Butts video. Just a quick note on Bernstein. He started as an animator and worked on the adventures of Pete and Pete. For Nickelodeon, of all things. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Wow. Yeah, so he uh, went from one of the most beloved children's shows and networks of all time to butts. Uh, he has gone on to become quite a successful TV director. He won an Emmy in 2007 for 30 Rock. So in other words, ass stuff was very, very good to him. And now, from the makers of Large Plane comes Large Ass. Yes. That was not all that Bernstein had on his plate. He and costume designer Dana Hollister mulled over the set and art design for the video. Ultimately, they were inspired by the work of Jean-Paul Goudet, Goud, uh, a French fashion photographer who has quite the thing for butts. His work directly inspired Kim Kardashian's 2014 Break the Internet paper magazine cover. You may remember her butt being exposed on that. Uh... Whatever. Good is uh, fascinating and deeply problematic. He has a very European, which is to say callous, appropriative, and pretty f***ed up fascination with the black women. He has a whole book about it that he called Jungle Fever. That Kim photo shoot was essentially a reproduction of one of the photos of a black woman taken from that book. And that photo in that book was a nod to these 18th century uh, exploitation photos of a woman who had been called the hot and tot Venus. Jesus. Uh, her real name was uh, Sartige Bartman, and she was basically trotted around throughout Victorian era shows and what have you because she had, um, you know, very characteristically what they thought at the time of uh, African uh, posterior features. So they were just trotting her around as like a sideshow being like, look at this woman's butt. And I, I feel like it's important to recognize this point as sort of 
part of what Sir Mix was talking about and how angry he was and how, you know, it's easy to roll our eyes at his explanation about body positivity and everything and saying that he just reverse engineered that explanation so he could make a shocking, goofy video. But I mean, that story about the hot and hot Venus is horrific and awful and just was so ingrained in culture. It's easy to understand like how he could be that angry and that furious, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, it's just part of this long lineage of exploiting black people and then telling them that their features we're exploiting them for are not desirable at large. Um, but Good also worked extensively with Grace Jones, and they were actually in a romantic relationship at the time. And he's responsible for the iconic cover of her record, Island Life, in which she's oh, yeah. doing this incredible balancing pose that is I'm sure someone can pull it off now, but it looks deeply unnatural. And he used like magazine collage cut up techniques to depict that. And uh, Nicki Minaj, who will come up again later, referenced that exact cover in uh, her video for mm, Stupid Ho. (laughs) Uh, So there's a complicated lineage there, uh, which we're not going to necessarily. This is not my graduate dissertation, so I'm not going to unpack all of that. But... Getting back on track, it was Good's work that inspired the shape of the 50-foot ass, which was made out of pencil steel, which is what aircraft frames are made of, and fiberglass. And when Mix-a-Lot arrived on set and was confronted by the sight of this giant 50-foot fiberglass ass, he was quite understandably dumbstruck. (laughs) Mix was asked to recall the moment in a Reddit AMA, and he replied, quote, one word, surreal. Remember now, I'm a brother from Seattle, so I walk into this place, and there was a 45-foot paper mache ass in the middle of the room. First thing. Second thing, the director told me, you're going to go on top of the ass, <laughs> and you're going to rap from there. So I tried to stand on the left cheek. That didn't work. I tried standing on the right cheek. That didn't work. So I stood in the crack, delivering the song from up there, and I was wearing all brown. I was like a dancing turd, you know. <laughs> in another interview, he would say, my boys said... You're always talking like you're the shit. Well, now you really are the shit. <laughs> they still ride me on that. Uh, Mix <laughs> ultimately changed out of the brown outfit, but that was not even the only wardrobe drama on this set. Yes, after his hours of careful consideration selecting models for this shoot, Mix was dissatisfied with their costumes, which he considered too risque and, in his eyes, catered too much to the Caucasian gaze. As he later said in the Vulture Oral History, what really bothered me was that the main girl sitting on the pedestal at the beginning of the song had on a blonde wig, tiger shorts, a bunch of gold chains, a cheap-ass satin gown, and ugly lipstick. She looked like, these are his words, a hoe. Mm. I thought, what the hell is this? Although, he added, to be honest, if I saw her on the street, I might say, what's up, baby? <laughs> I'm glad that he, he added that in there. You know, so that she wouldn't take it personally if she was reading this, I guess. Um, so Mix took his complaints to the director, Adam Bernstein, saying, The song is called Baby Got Back, Not Baby's a Ho. They ended up getting new clothes for the model in question, a woman by the name Almond, who apparently was very grateful. I guess she really didn't like what she had been initially asked to wear. So it all worked out in the end. Did it, though, Jordan? Because one of the most iconic stories concerning the shoot of the Baby Got Back video is Dana Hollister, costume designer Dana Hollister, who claimed that, quote, Mix pulled a Glock on me because I challenged the way he was dressed for art direction purposes, and he freaked out on me. Now, Mix rebuked this claim, saying, that's bullshit, before reportedly laughing uproariously. 
When he regained his composure, he continued, quote, There is no way I would travel across state lines into California with those gun laws. Pulling a gun on a guy is enough of a punk move, but a woman? Hollister then walked back the incident, saying that it lasted, quote, all of two minutes. He realized that we had his best interests at heart. He is a lovely guy. Now, Dana Hollister sidebar. <laughs> this so is really was, interesting. I love this. She is the costume designer on the shoot. She later became a famous restaurateur, and she owned the former convent in L.A.'s Silver Lake District that Katy Perry once tried to buy. The Reader's Digest version of this story is that there was a dispute over who had the right to sell this convent, the Archdiocese or the group of nuns. In 2014, the Archdiocese agreed to sell the place to Perry for 14.5 mil, but shortly afterward, Dana Hollister struck a deal to buy the home for 15.5 mil from the Sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, who claimed they had the right to sell the property. This legal battle took years during which one nun died in the middle of court after getting a ruling, Hollister was forced to pay $6.5 million in damages. <laughs> Sorry. That. that got a no. little in the weeds. But back to the release of Baby Got Back in 1992, this was prime video era when MTV ruled the land. And in an attempt to get the TV network on board, Rick Rubin commissioned old-fashioned engraved desk plaques that read, Call MTV, Reeser Mix-A-Lot, and left them, left them on the desks of every staff member at his office. That's just a helpful little reminder. But unfortunately, MTV was not happy with this bountiful display of booty and banned <laughs> the video. And for the mix camp, this was just a golden opportunity. The perfect way to transform the ass anthem into a cause celebre, if you will. You are killing it with the alliteration. Oh, thank you. Thank this, you very much. This episode, by the way. <laughs> Everyone, please, please Tweet pay at attention. Tweet at ass alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is it's the Barbara Streisand effect. You remember that? Well, didn't she like... Oh, I sure do. Long story short, it was like a real estate thing that she wanted to... Uh, put up a bunch of mansions and um okay so the california coastal records project they were taking photographs across the california coastline to document coastal erosion and uh she sued the photographers for violation of privacy she sued them for 50 million dollars because she wanted to remove an aerial photograph of the mansion from the publicly available collection of 12,000 california coastline photographs so this is a photography project aimed at environmental concerns. There's one photo in 12,000, and she sues him for 50 million. Oh, and this is great. Before she filed her lawsuit, the image of her house, image 3850, had been downloaded from the website only six times. <laughs> two, two of those were from her attorneys. <laughs> So as a result of the case, public knowledge of this picture increased greatly and more than 420,000 people visited this site over the following month. The lawsuit was dismissed and she was forced to pay his legal fee, the photographer's legal fees, which amounted to $155,000. And that, in a nutshell, is the Streisand effect. The more you try and suppress something, the more it comes out in the wash. Yes. And that's kind of, in a sense, what happened with the Baby Got Back video. 
Mix, who assumed the network would never play the video in the first place, he wasn't really all that bothered, and he loved the controversy, and he likened it to uh, the controversy surrounding Elvis when he appeared on early TV shows like Ed Sullivan, and he was filmed above the waist because his wiggling hips were just too hot for network censors. He was quoted as saying, all of a sudden, Baby Got Back went from being the song you got sick of on the radio to being pushed out of the system. He was a rebel. Uh, It was no longer just a novelty. It wasn't cute. It wasn't simple. Somebody didn't like it, he said. And again, Mm -hmm. this is controversy is so great. Just gets more attention. Uh, In the past, MTV had refused to air songs like NWA Straight Outta Compton, which said it promoted violence. Um, But the network always got skittish when the word band was used. The uh, programmer at MTV, a woman by the name of Patty Galuzzi, explained her position in the Vulture oral history. She said, people like to use the word band. You can be righteous as if MTV is banning books, but banning is not the same as a programming decision with respect to a video that directly flouted a then recently instituted rule against showing female body parts with no reference to a face, which makes sense. We were trying to move away from MTV's recent past when videos showing slices of pie would drop into a girl's lap, like in Warren's Cherry Pie, and these videos were shown around the clock. So, okay, a good policy there. That, That makes sense. Um, But Sir Mix took a very active role in trying to get his video on MTV, much as Harrison Ford did on Air Force One, uh, one of the many ways that they are alike. (laughs) Sir Mix-a-Lot crashed a dinner with the aforementioned MTV executive, Patty Galuzzi, and he pled his case as to why the video was important and deserved to be seen. And finally, MTV eventually caved after some minor edits and recuts, uh, and they agreed to play the video after the 9 p.m. watershed, as they had with shares If I Could Turn Back Time which was uh, slightly controversial because she's dancing on a battleship in a G-string for some reason. Because she's f***ing Cher, you hidebound clawed pole. <laughs> <laughs> that was supposed to be delivered in Orson Welles impression. I just got <laughs> too angry that you slandered my beloved Cher. And having said all that, we'll be right back with more Too Much Information right after this. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. 
I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Incidentally, this is now the second time that a giant ass figures into, God, I don't know what you call this, the narrative? What would we call this? A saga? A saga of Sir Mix? Yeah, absolutely. If you got a sir in your name, you deserve a saga. Okay, I'll allow it. Well, either way, this is the second time a giant ass appears in the Baby God Pack saga. Um, I don't, there's no way to even gracefully slide into this. They made a giant inflatable ass. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's graceful. <laughs> uh, Mix-a-Lot was a f- uh, hated to fly. He was afraid to fly. And because he had to drive everywhere, he wasn't able to play as many tour dates as his label would have liked. So, as a workaround, I hope this was Rick Rubin's idea, but it probably wasn't. They decided that they would tour a 30-foot lifelike inflatable ass instead. And uh, to bring this into the realm of Elvis, once again, this was not unlike the time that the colonel toward Elvis's gold-plated caddy around in place of the actual artist. So I guess there's a precedent. One of the many ways that Sir Mix is like Elvis. They put this inflatable ass on top of record stores and radio stations, or just in the parking lot, and then they would just blast the song. They went one better during a beachside record industry conference in Santa Monica because the organizers refused to allow the giant ass to be displayed. And indeed, rudely rebuffed offers to have it clad with a similarly massive pair of bikini bottoms. Label Brass just rented a boat, docked it off the beach, and towed the giant ass behind them while blasting Baby Got Back. Uh, It is visible in the background of a scene in Joel Schumacher's, not the towing thing, but the giant ass itself. Joel Schumacher's 1993 film Falling Down starring Michael Douglas. You can see the ass on top of Virgin Records store on Sunset. So it's been immortalized for all eternity and in our hearts. Thank God. Yeah. 
And as goofy as all of this actually sounds, music historian Dan Charnas cites this as among the moments that rap fully crossed over into pop in a book called The Big Payback, The History of the Business of Hip Hop. But sadly, what big ass goes up (laughs) must come down. The big ass was a target for local vandals and angry neighbors, and it was frequently shot with bullets and arrows, which, like, who in L.A. is rolling around with a bow and arrow? Well, whatever. Uh, Disgruntled extras on terrible Western sets, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. Mercifully, a spare giant inflatable ass was made, a decoy or dummy ass, if you will, much like Air Force One. Uh, And during one of these apparently scarily frequent incidents, Deaf American put out a press release that read, in part, this shocking and senseless incident will not affect plans for the butt balloon to continue on its current national tour of record store rooftops. Rick Rubin, owner of American Recordings, has posted a reward for anyone with information leading to the capture and conviction of the butt assassinator. There are some real sick people in this world, Ruben sadly commented. I want, you know what I want next from HBO or Hulu or or whatever? I guess Netflix is dropping a lot of the originals, but whoever is making a niche music limited prestige series for a streamer, I want it to be about the saga of the inflatable ass and whether or not- Bill Simmons. Yeah, an investigative podcast and whether or not Rick Ruben's reward successfully- resulted in the apprehending of the men who shot Sir Mixlock's giant inflatable ass. I'm just singing this like to the tune of the man who shot Liberty Valance. <laughs> the man who shot Sir Mixlock's <laughs> giant ass. Uh, I mean, to, to or, be or fair. I shot the sheriff. I, yeah. shot, <laughs> I shot the ass. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if you're 17 and you're driving around and you see in like a place that's like not a, a major city, but like some, you know, just somewhere out of the way where there's not a lot to do. And you you see a giant inflatable butt. I mean, the temptation to shoot it, I, I can I can sort of understand that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I would have done it. Are you kidding me? If I was like an 18 year old kid or like I'm off school at this time, I would have made it my life's mission to come after that ass. <laughs> oh, boy. But- from the but, bottom to the top is how Jordan titled this next one. So that's what we're sticking with. You all need to know that. For all of the indignities endured by this giant inflatable butt, not to mention all the backlash with the video, the song proved to be an enormous success. It was released in May 1992 and spent five weeks at number one that July. And Mix learned about the honor while on stage at a gig in Panama City. And he reportedly thought he was being pranked, which is cute. Ultimately, it went on to become the second best-selling song in the United States in 1992, behind only Boys to Men's End of the Road. And Baby Got Back spent seven months on the Billboard Hot 100 and went double platinum just three months after its release, sold 145,000 copies in a single week and won a Grammy for Best Solo Rap Performance Mm. in 1993. And it went on to spark a brief trend of butt-related rap songs, most notably Rex and Effect's Rump Shaker, which you mentioned earlier. And Mick said in a 2014 Reddit AMA that his favorite butt-related song was Back That Ass Up by Juvenile. Mm Mm-hmm. So nicely done, Juvenile. Um, Baby Got Back was parodied by Jamie Foxx on In Living Color, in which he stars as Trail Mix-A-Lot singing a song called Baby's Got Snacks. That's awful. <laughs> that is, yeah, that it's is a very some, specific that is parody. That is some Borscht Belt 
fucking garbage. Uh, a slightly better one was that it was also parodied in an episode of Bill Nye the Science Guy. It was an episode about buoyancy. And I think Sir Mix actually appeared on this and did a song called Bill's Got Boat. Excellent. Uh, and now we're going to run down some of the ways that Sir Mix has, you know, the man is nothing if not canny and he clearly loves money as we all do and uh, has just licensed this song out to anyone and everyone who can afford it. And uh, Jordan, why don't you give us a rundown on who that actually is? Yeah, it's pretty incredible that for all the controversy that this track generated when it was released, it just was used to sell so many things. (laughs) Uh, In 2005, it was used in a back-to-school commercial for Target with the lyrics changed to Baby Got Backpack, which is pretty good. Opening line is, we like backpacks and we cannot lie with a cell phone pocket on the side. That last part's kind of terrible, but Baby Got Backpack, that's pretty good. Um, At a Washington Mutual Company retreat in 2006, Lenders sang a version that featured the lyrics, this is also pretty good, I like big bucks and I cannot lie, you mortgage brothers can't deny, while performers tossed play money into the crowd. I both love and hate that simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, that's f***ed up. Because wasn't like the wasn't all the bank bailouts like two years later? Yep. <laughs> uh, in 2009, Burger King used the song in an ad promoting the SpongeBob SquarePants toys that were included in their kids' meals. The opener is you could probably guess this. I like square butts, and I cannot lie. And the clip ends with Sir Mix-a-Lot in the background nodding his approval. Again, Sir Mix stands for body positivity: big butts, small butts, even square butts. Uh, This is probably, to me, the strangest. Delta Airlines. On July 30th, 2013, Delta Airlines tweeted a photo of the back of a 737 plane with the caption, Baby got back. We like big jets and we cannot lie. The 737 is ready to fly. I I mean, was their social media manager high? I cannot imagine making the connection between Sir Mix-a-Lot and the back of an airplane, which from the back, I would imagine planes kind of all look roughly the same. I mean, this was, this was, was this was when corporate Twitter started being weird. And like, it was like when Wendy's Wendy's, started snapping back at people and that so on and so forth. So they were like, let's get some of that traffic. Uh, let's do a weird butt plane. Uh, this brings us to, <laughs> just drop. from weird butt plane. This brings us to Sarah Palin in 2020. Sarah Palin performed the song on Fox's The Masked Singer while dressed as a bear. Uh, this was right in the early days of the pandemic. And in an article about this performance by Dave Holmes, uh, appeared in Esquire, it included this apt line. I have thought a lot about doomsday scenarios in my many decades on this planet, but I have to say, I did not expect the apocalypse to be this tacky. (laughs) (laughs) He's right. The darkest days of the pandemic made even darker. Um, and it, Baby Got Back, again, this blows my mind for considering how controversial it initially was, appeared in so many kids' movies, 2004's Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed, the 2010 <laughs> movie Yogi Bear, Cameron Diaz dances to this in the movie Charlie's Angels, and it's been used also in Happy Feet, Jackass the Movie, Shrek, and Shark's Tale. Oh, and Friends, I forgot. Uh, Ross sings it to their baby to try to make it laugh. How could I forget? But... 
Perhaps the most controversial use of the song occurred in an episode of Glee that aired in January of 2013. It got a little weird, not just the fact that they had a high school Glee club of mostly white kids covering Baby Got Back. Uh, let's, f-ing, I hate Glee. Uh, it got weird because their version of the song featured an acoustic backing track that sounded very much like it was taken directly from a 2005 cover by a singer-songwriter named Jonathan Colton. Colton's theory was that they just ripped the acoustic backing from his original recording and let the Glee cast sing over it. Uh, I don't think that there was ever, it was ever determined whether or not they took his guitar performance wholesale or simply paid one of their musicians to turn in a stunning simulacrum of it. But they definitely took his arrangements and some of the new elements of melody that he added in his version. And then when Colton complained to the Glee producers because the people involved in this show were uniformly garbage, he was told that they were within their legal rights to do this and that he should be happy for the exposure. Ooh, that that last part, that's the bone Even though they didn't credit him. And didn't even publicly acknowledge that it's his version. You should be happy for the exposure, which we will also not give you. God, I f***ing hate all oh, those f***ing people. So that's all a bummer. But dial my bile back, because this is a funnier and at least and moderately more innocent version of this. Uh, sometime in the early tens, a young law student named Jonathan Nichols purchased a new cell phone. And before long, he started getting texts from strange numbers that were sending him synth clips on YouTube or unsolicited bikini photos. And he was getting calls from luxury car dealers like Ferrari, Lamborghini, Jaguar. And they kept asking if Mr. Anthony Ray would like to come on by and take their cars for a test drive. And then on a random day in August, his phone blew up with texts wishing him a happy birthday. It was not his birthday. Finally. He put it together. Anthony Ray was Sir Mix-a-Lot. Sir Mix-a-Lot was Anthony Ray. (laughs) It was Mix's birthday. His new phone had Sir Mix's old number. Uh, When Mix was informed of this, he responded with, Are you serious? That is hilarious. Poor fella. (laughs) But he felt like he truly felt like king for a day. He should have taken the Ferrari dealership up and just like, yeah. I'll drive it. And they don't want to call his bluff of being like, you're not Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> Just see who blinks I think, first. <laughs> I think he did text him back and was like, I'm a poor law student, but sure. I love that story so much. Yes, Sir Mix has a pretty good sense of humor about his lot in life. In 2014, he performed the version of Baby Got Back with the Seattle Symphony. And they're a very famous composer. Who is this, Hegel? Uh, well, it's the kid or the grandson of uh, Sergei Prokofi. Oh God, Sergei Prokofiev. That's why I threw to you. <laughs> yeah. So Gabriel Prokofiev is his grandson, but his granddad is one of the most famous composers of all time, largely in Russia, but also over here. He did Peter and the Wolf, which is like one of the first pieces of orchestral symphonic music that most kids get exposed to in their like elementary school music class. Um, he also did a great many other works. So yeah, this guy was invited to compose an orchestral piece based on one of Seattle's musical icons. Could have chosen Jimi Hendrix. Could have chosen Kurt Cobain. Could have chosen so many people. He chose Sir Mix-a-Lot, and they did this orchestral version of Baby Got Back, which is just tremendous. 
Sir Mix also teamed with fellow Seattle icons Mud Honey for a song on the Judgment Night soundtrack in 1993. Which is actually a hugely important soundtrack because it was like really one of the first times that they, like the whole thing is they brought grunge and rock guys together with hip hop artists. And basically it's kind of like conceptual ground zero for rap rock. Preceded by Public Enemy and Anthrax doing Bring the Noise. Uh, Yeah. But, um, yeah. Oh, and Aerosmith. Well, um, we we don't talk about that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Judgment Night is is actually a hugely influential uh, soundtrack. That's very interesting. I got to check that out. Um, And speaking of 90s, uh, not grunge bands, but 90s bands, Mix had started a short-lived group with members of the Presidents of the United States of America of Peaches fame. You know, going to the country, yep. gonna eat. Yeah. Um, but I guess they split up before they ever actually released anything, which is sad. I remain unclear about whether or not this was a real musical venture or just a press ploy. But Sir Mix is still out there performing, and in recent years, he crafted a 10-minute version of Baby Got Back that he plays to audiences that he deems are into it. So <laughs> he only plays it to especially attentive audiences, I guess. Um, all in all, it seems pretty good to be Sir Mix-a-Lot. Speaking to Cosmo in 2014, he said, every reality TV show that wanted me to be on, I turned down. They keep looking for a train wreck, and my life is not a train wreck, and I know they want it to be. The perception is, this guy can't have money, but I won't fake it to give him the train wreck they want and basically ruin my career. And he's right. Mix owns the publishing to Baby Got Back. And as we saw, he licenses it out every chance he can. TVs, movies, ads, samples of Nicki Minaj's Anaconda song, etc. Which means that the song has so far yielded over $100 million. I'm unclear how much of that went to him, but presumably a decent cut. So as a result, Sir Mix-a-Lot doesn't feel the need to release albums, but he's still active in the studio on occasion. Um, But apparently, because he doesn't need the money, he records music that he deems has integrity. That's his quote. Of his most famous creation, Mix believes Baby Got Back would not make the same sort of splash that it did in the 90s because the conversation around representation, body image, and body positivity has changed. You know, for the better. Now, he says, because the body is not only accepted, it's expected. I'm not sure that song would make the same impact as it did in 92. Which is arguably, like, that. that's great, you know? I'm glad he took the outrage, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. I'm glad he took all of that on. Literal arrows in this case. (laughs) I'm glad he did that for all of us because it is an inarguable touchstone in changing body standards. You know, it's a highfalutin moral impact, maybe somewhat diluted by its uh, light. Ubiquity. Ubiquity, yes. Or I was going to say the. um, China inflatable ass. Uh, or the uh, number of corporations that have lined up to co-opt it. But we can't take that away from Mix. Well, folks, we have reached the end of this episode. We have gotten to the bottom of the matter. And now it's time to put this behind us. Not even a chuckle? No? Okay. Just now. Uh, <laughs> oh. Well, any any final thoughts for us? No, I just want to hear that uh, President's United States collaboration mix. If you're out there, well, and that prestige series about the attack on the inflatable ass. If they ever find the guy who did it, and someone collected Rick Rubin's cash reward. So, <laughs> if anyone Hulu, preferably HBO, you want to contact us about that, you know, you can reach out. I'll take a meeting. Um, tweet at us at Ass Alliteration. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening, folks. This has been Too Much Information. I'm Alex Heigl. And I'm Jordan Runtog. And we'll see you next time. Too Much Information was a production of iHeartRadio. The show's executive producers are Noel Brown and Jordan Runtog. The supervising producer is Mike Johns. The show was researched, written, and hosted by Jordan Runtog and Alex Heigl. With original music by Seth Applebaum and the Ghost Funk Orchestra. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.